Jesus answered in parables. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, went on their way. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Now, here's what I really want to get to here. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. What a switch from the beginning of this when he's inviting guests and bringing them in. And then the king comes in and he looks over the wedding guests who have arrived. Who is this guy? What's he doing here? Why does he not have on wedding clothes? Why did Jesus, or, or the king, who represents Jesus in this parable, find him and throw him out? What's going on here? So, as I was praying about this, I began to see that what this is, is a person who has come in and is totally unprepared for where he's at, totally not honoring where he's at, and I started asking, okay, Lord, what, what, what is this really about? What is it that you are trying to show us here? And God began to speak to me and say, there are people who we consider to be part of the church, part of the fellowship, part of our fellowship, parts of other fellowships. And he said, and they have never been born again. They are people who are not part of the kingdom, but they sit among us. It's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, how does that happen? Well, actually pretty easily. Um, we're not in the practice of when people come in our doors and sit among us and stick around for a while and are part of our actual fellowship and we consider them part of our fellowship. It's not our practice to go up to them and say, are you born again? We just kind of assume it. You know, based on the fact they're here, they're participating, um, they have the right speech, using the right words that we're all familiar with, but they've never been actually born again. And God said, those people are among you. 
He said, I want you to teach about that. That just because you are here, and just because you have an intellectual belief that Jesus is God, does not make you born again. It just does not do it. And so, what actually does make you born again? And why is that important? Now, I want to emphasize here. We are not going to be throwing people out our doors bound hand and foot because we found out you're not born again. Keep in mind that the context of this parable is the wedding feast of Jesus in his church at the end of the age. That is the context for this parable. And so what we want to do is make sure that those people who are part of our fellowship and under our care are not the wedding Yes, without the clothes. We do not want to assume that everybody who comes in our doors and sits in our chairs is born again. So, let's start taking a look at this. Um, Just to humor me, I'm going to say a phrase and you say back the first number that comes to your mind. John 3. Yeah, we're not going there. (laughs) I knew you'd say that. Um, But let's go to John 3, and we're going to start at chapter 1. And we are going to take a look at what is a very confounding conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. I mean, as I read through this, I'm like... Golly, if I were Nicodemus, I think I'd be running for the door. This guy's a crazy man. Um, well, let's start here. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. Does everybody know who the Pharisees are? The Pharisees were an extremely legalistic group. They believed in the coming Messiah, but they were extremely legalistic. No grace in their, in their lives. They're also, in Jesus' time, very well known for a lot of hypocrisy. In other words, the law is for you, but the law is not for me. You know, so they gave themselves grace, but not much of anybody else. So Nicodemus uh, comes to Jesus. This man came to him, verse 2, by night. Why did he come by night? He didn't want anybody else to know he was coming. He did not want those other Pharisees to know that he was going to see this crazy man that none of them liked. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs unless you, uh, that you do unless God is with him. I'm going to take this and turn it around a little bit because I think what uh, Nicodemus was really saying, he's being clever about it, but what he's really saying is, who are you? He says, we know what others say. Who are you? And here's where things go off the rails for Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it might be hard for us, but I want you to try to put yourself in Nicodemus' place. We have heard this phrase and encountered this in our lives for a very long time. It is not strange to us. But think of yourself like Nicodemus. Never heard, I don't think anybody ever heard it before. 
It's like, what? I ask you basically who you are, and you come back with this? What is this? And Nicodemus basically responds the same way, saying, how can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? You know? So what is Jesus saying in verse 3? And what is Nicodemus saying in verse 4? Jesus is saying, unless you're born again, you'll never get it. You'll never understand what is going on in the kingdom of God. You'll never understand who I am. You will never understand spiritual principles. You will not understand heavenly things. And Nicodemus basically says, what? 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 <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I can just imagine the look on his face. I'm, I'm not sure that it's the same look that uh, Nicodemus had. In the, Is anybody watching The Chosen? Anybody watch that series at all? Uh, you should you should look that up. That's pretty good. Anyway, so in response to Nicodemus saying, "What are you talking about? How can a man be born again?" Jesus comes back and basically repeats himself, throws in a few more details. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay. In verse 3, he said, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now he takes it a step further. And he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and the Spirit. Now you can uh, uh, debate what it means to be born of water. So I know some people believe that that means a natural earthly birth. Some people means that think that it means otherwise, that baptism or whatever. But that's not the point that I'm trying to get across here. You must be born again, or you will not see, or you will not enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then here comes another one. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born in the Spirit. Again, Jesus says to Nicodemus, not only will you not understand the kingdom, not only will you not understand me, you won't even understand anybody who knows me. You just won't get it. The wind blows where it wishes. But you do not know where it comes from. When it's going where it's going, but you don't know where it's going. So Jesus is basically telling Nicodemus, until you've been born again, you're going to understand nothing. And you are not coming from the right place to do this. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly. I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you don't receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, Jesus said there's a bit of rebuke in here from Jesus to Nicodemus, but there's also another point, reemphasizing to Nicodemus, you are in the wrong place. You will not understand this where you are coming from. 
You need to get yourself to a different place. He said, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. I was going to stop there, but I think I'm going to go on here a little bit. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So in response to Nicodemus, he told him basically, you're not in the wrong, you are in the wrong place. You are not in the right place. But here's the right place. And Nicodemus, I don't know. We don't actually know how this affected Nicodemus. He shows up later in scripture, but uh, we don't actually know everything that he has done in this. Okay, so let's move on here. What does it mean? To be born again. What actually is it? We talk about it. We tell people you need it. But what actually is it? If you're going to put meat on that flesh, what does that meat look like? What happens here? Let's go to John chapter 1. I'm going to start right at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, speaking of Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received them, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As many as received him, he gave them the right To become part of God's family. Being born again is the entrance. It's the entering point. It's the door to a new and different life. It is not layering on to your old life. It is the door to a new and different life. That was the issue with the guy at the wedding without the wedding clothes. He's the guy who showed up at the wedding and who wasn't born again. He had no right to be there. No cause to be there. When you're born again, a, a major change is made in, the, in your approach to God. Prior to it, 
Most people's approach to God, if they have one, is one of trying to be a good person and earn God's favor by trying to make their good works outweigh the bad, hoping to tip the scales in their favor. I'm really a good person. Yeah, I've done some things that I probably shouldn't have done along the way, but I'm really a good person. You know, and uh, God, God, God should let me in because I'm a, I'm a good person. And I try to do good. So, I'm going to tell you right now, those are the wrong wedding clothes. Those are the wrong clothes to be wearing. That is a works-based approach to God. And that will never work. It will not work. So being born again, it happens through an encounter with God. Through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. There's no set way for it to happen. There's no formula that says, if these steps didn't occur with you, like they did with me, then you're not born again. Some people, it happens in a moment. It happens at a point in time. For some people, it happens through a series of events that add up over time to where they come to the realization of who Jesus is, and they surrender. But no matter what happens, there's a point of surrender. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. A surrender to a faith-based grace, not a works-based. The works-based, as we said, doesn't work. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his sacrifice on the cross, and nothing, nothing, nothing else will get you there. Nothing. It's like, I have this illustration, I was going to try to pull it off today, but I, don't, I, I couldn't get it together for that. But it's kind of like, a, if, if you can imagine, you, you've got these two glasses of water sitting here, both nice and sparkling, good and, and look good, and you're thirsty and you want a drink. And I, and I pick you up and I say, oh, that's a good glass of water from my, from my faucet at home, which is fed by spring water. It's really good. And, uh, and then I take this one and I say, yeah, this looks really good because I actually just cleaned my toilet. So, uh, And it's good looking water and I'm just going to put one drop of it in here. Okay, you want this one? <laughs> no. Because that's all that it takes to pollute us is that sin. You know, we, we can't clean up our sin. We can't do it. We can't expect God to let us into his kingdom without that sin being dealt with. Without us paying the price for that sin. And what is the price of our sin? Anybody? You can answer. You can put it out there. What? Death. All right. And so when we cross over into a faith-based, what has the price for our sin been paid? I mean, how, how does this happen? We're, we're now into a faith-based thing and... And but I'm still not dead. How's he letting me in? What is it, Bob? Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross as the spotless lamb, the price he paid for our sin. Amen. So let's take a look at Romans five twelve. Noah's probably going nuts because I'm not really following the script. 
So this is just a little bit about sin and how it affects us and how it is in our lives. Romans 5, chapter 5, uh, verse 12. Therefore, just as though one man through one man center, sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. There is not a one of us that can say, I do not have sin in my life, that I've never had sin in my life. There is not a one of us that can say that. Scripture says that death spread to all men because all have sinned. We were born with that sin nature. We were born with something drawing us to sin like magnetism. I don't know what it is, but it happens. You know, it came through Adam and Eve. I don't know if it comes through some sort of DNA, spiritual DNA or whatever, but we all got it. Every single one of us. Uh, Jump over to chapter 6 in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You just didn't have any. Therefore, what, uh, what benefit were you when you were, were then deriving from the things of which you are shamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now you have been freed from sin and slave to God. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. The outcome, eternal life. I'm going to jump back Isaiah 53. Oh, wrong one. It's 53, John, not 54. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. To fall on him, Jesus. Amen. I am so, so thankful for that. In Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. When you are born, before you are born again, this scripture applies. God is not hearing you. He's hearing you when you come to him. Now, when I say he's not hearing you, I don't mean that he's, you know, some mean guy up in heaven that refuses anything. But your prayers do not have the effect of of a born again believer. They just don't. We are separated from God by our sin. And I mean, it's a separation, you know. So, so let's jump over Ephesians chapter 2. One thing I share with Tommy is that Ephesians is my absolute Favorite book of the Bible. It's my kind of like my go-to. Um, Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards towards us in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 11. It's kind of a Bible drill today, I guess. More for me, because you all get the screen. Okay, verse 6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What is grace? Somebody want to? Unmerited favor. That's absolutely right. In, in the Greek, it's the word uh, charis, I, I believe it's pronounced. Um, in the scripture, it is favor. It is God's blessing on you. It is unmerited. It is something you didn't earn, you don't deserve, and nothing you can do to get it. But he gives it to you anyway. Now, Second Timothy. Chapter one. Verses eight, starting there. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. There it is again, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So. Grace is all we've got, folks. That's it. Grace is all we've got. We, we, we can't earn this. So, I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about, is Jesus really the only way to God? You know, you hear that a lot. Is Jesus really the only way to God? I mean, I used to hear something about the the wheel with the spokes on the wheel and every religion was a spoke on the wheel and they all went to the same place, you know. Um, but that is not the way it is. You cannot, I mean, even as an unbeliever, you cannot consider Jesus to be a spoke on that wheel if you hold to that theory. Come on. Y'all are pretty quiet out there. I'm going to John 14, by the way. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. I'm starting at verse 1 here. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, and this is the kicker here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Nobody. Nobody on the planet. Through no other religion. If you believe in the spoke theory, you can remove all the spokes but this one. I don't know how well that wheel will work. But But this is the only way. Jesus said this. And there are so many people out there that I come across and talk to. And, you know, Jesus is a prophet. He's a, he's a good teacher. Um, I, I believe he existed and was a good man. But if you don't know very much about him, if that's what you believe about him. You know, because he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's go to First Timothy chapter 2. I'm so used to reading the Bible on my iPad that I have trouble leafing through this thing. Anybody else have that problem? No? I guess I'm alone. Okay, First Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. And off to First Peter. Chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with the perishable things like gold, silver, or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. This is how we were redeemed, the blood of Christ by no other. So... There is no other path. So let's shift gears again. I want to talk about what might be the absolute most important question you all deal with in your life, in my life, in everybody's life. I believe that everybody comes to this place through one means or another. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. I want to start at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Sounds a little bit like Nicodemus's answer. And verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I believe that this may very well be the most important question that you will ever have to answer in your life. It will, how you answer it will determine everything in your life from that point forward, no matter how you answer it. Whether you answer it in the way that Peter answered it, or whether you say, eh, he's a good man, you know. But there's other spokes on the wheel. So... Let's go to John, chapter 6. And we're going to go all the way to verse 66. Jesus had just gotten done speaking some difficult words to hear. Words that uh, caused many of his followers at the time to turn away. We're going to pick up right after that, verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, Do you not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. So Peter, again, answers in the affirmative. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. We have nowhere else to go. Nowhere else. Let's look at some other things where people encountered that question. Acts chapter 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and enter to the city, and it shall be told to you what you must do. Paul himself, the biggest enemy of the church in that day sent out to bring them back, to to be imprisoned, executed. The biggest enemy was encountered Jesus himself and had to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? And God moved on him and Paul answered, you are the Christ in so many words. You are my Savior. Acts 8, verse 26. 
This is the, uh, the Philippian eunuch, who was not even uh, a Hebrew, a Jew at the time. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's pretty high up in the government there, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, because he knew there was some sort of God out there, and he thought the Hebrews might just have the answer. And as he was returning, sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit of Philip said, or the, and the spirit said to Philip, "Go up and join this chariot." And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And he said, "Well, how could I, unless someone guides me?" And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture was this: He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears and silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself? Somebody else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And, he, and as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip as, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. The eunuch himself had encountered the question, who Do you say that I am? And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Where are we? Acts 9. I think I'm going to drop the rest of these scriptures in this section now and move on. But you are born again when you wrestle with this question. If you have never wrestled with this question... I encourage you to do so. If you have never, if you have grown up in your family, in the church, and the church and Christianity was always just a thing around you, it was part of your life because it was there. You would be shocked at how many people come all the way into their adult lives and beyond, and that is their exposure to Christianity, and they think they are Christians. They think. Well, I don't even know if they think they're born again, but they think they're Christians. You know, but they have never actually had the encounter where they themselves personally had to answer the question of who do you say I am? So let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about repentance. Um, repentance is a, uh, a hot-button word uh, in our culture. It's a hot-button word in, in the church. Um, so what is repentance, really? Uh, what is it all about? I mean, we know that it is an inseparable part of being born again, 
Repent, believe, and be baptized. But what, what, what are we talking about here when we say repent? Well, I can tell you that most people's perception outside of those being born again think that it's a behavior-based thing. That it's all about your behavior. You know, it's all about, well, stop doing this. Don't do this. Don't break that rule. Don't break this rule. Don't break that. If you are breaking that rule, you need to stop. But that word repent, it means something entirely different. Repentance does lead to you stopping doing those acts that are offensive to God. There's no doubt about that. But what does that word really mean? What is it called for? Well, in the Greek, uh, I think it's pronounced metania. The word repent means to think differently. It isn't just stop doing something. It means think differently. It's a change of mind, a change of heart. It isn't just behavior-based. It is a complete switch in the way that you think. In the Hebrew, teshuba means to return. So it's think differently, turn it around, come back. And in that, those acts of sin, they, they, they just kind of go away, you know, when you repent. The world thinks that when we tell them to repent, that we just want to change their behavior. You know, and sometimes I wonder if that isn't what we really want. You know, is that sometimes I wonder if even as believers, we want them to straighten up and act right. That we're more interested in the way they behave than getting them saved. You know, and what we don't understand is until you're born again, what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You won't get it. You won't get it. Why do so many people in the world favor abortion? To us, it's horrible. It's a terrible, terrible thing. But then they see, see it as a key to their, their freedom. But why? It's because they don't get it. They don't operate from the same base that we operate from. They don't get it. And I think that we need to be aware that they don't get it. They argue from a different foundation than we argue from. And so it is with so many things out there. And when we start focusing on repentance as behavior-based, we can end up in the same place ourselves. If we're focused on our behavior and not on the cleansing of our mind, the washing of the word that happens to us. So... Be very, very careful about the way that we use that word, repentance. And remember, it means to think differently, turn it around, and come back. So, so how does born again actually make us different? Are we getting a little long here? Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Nobody said yes, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Second Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17, something that's probably pretty familiar to most of us. 
How does born again make us different? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Who you are after you are born again is not who you were before you were born again. You look the same, but you don't think the same. You don't think the same. The the whole foundation and base of your life has now changed from me and myself to Jesus. The entire basis, everything has changed. Romans chapter 6. Starting at verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be uh, slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. We are completely freed from those forces that drove us before we were born again. Completely freed. We are no longer driven by them. We might fall into something that we shouldn't from time to time. But that doesn't mean that, the, that we are drawn to it like that magnetism that I referred to before, that, that unexplainable force that happens before you're born again that just draws you into sin. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them. Over to chapter 4. Ephesians 4. In verse 24, I'm going to back it up to 20. Um, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Being born again results in a different you. That's the bottom line. You might not be entirely different on day one, but you're on that path. You're on a different path now. You are on the path to a different and new you that is very much faith-based in the sacrifice of Jesus. That is the only way we're going to get there. If you had been sitting in your life thinking that 
I'm going to tip the scales by trying to do good works. You're not there. You are not there. Examine yourself because you are working on a works-based scale and you will not, you will not arrive at the destination you want to arrive at. You will be the person without the wedding clothes. So, I just, I'm going to kind of call it here, uh, but I really want to extend out here that if God is speaking to you in any way that some of this could be true in your life, we're here. Come on up. Let's pray. Let's get together and pray. If you have other needs, um, I know you've heard me say many times, you don't have a gathering this size without having people here who have needs, prayer needs. Health needs, spiritual needs, whatever. Um, come forward. Let's just go ahead and have a time of ministry up here. And whatever your need is, whether it's to be born again, to be healed, whatever it is, let's come on up. Okay? Thank you. You can feel free to uh, uh, get your kids. In fact, make sure you do. And uh, um, fellowship over in this area. Uh, try to keep this area here in the front for ministry. And so, thank you.